the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. What are you doing? Aren't we starting something? <laughs> oh, hey, uh, we're on the air. Welcome, Pearl and Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep. Greetings. Hello to you, the lovely Pearl. Oh, hello, Andy. Hi, everybody. Welcome. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a couple things, but the unifying topic is we're talking about getting money for college. Um, so about two weeks ago, I ran a webinar describing you know the ins and outs of grants and scholarships. Um, a lot of people missed that. A lot of people showed up for it. So that's really the the bulk of tonight's webinar is just to do sort of a quicker version of that. But since then, uh, you know, President Biden has announced his loan forgiveness proposal, which I should point out has not been officially um, disseminated or approved. And there's sure to be some some legal wrangling about whether he has the authority to do this or not. But we've been uh, getting a lot of questions. You probably have a lot of questions, too, about what the current program looks like. And the good news is that uh, we have a real expert here on loans and financial aid. Not me, that's Pearl. So um, why don't you start just kind of running through the basics of it? I, I think a lot of people probably know. Um, just you know, basically sort of, like what, how, what is borrowed and what's a student loan and kind of currently the landscape on interest suspension and that. I, I think let's talk about the proposal first. Mm -hmm. um, then we'll get into, I mean, that, that's, you know, it's great to have loans um, suspended potentially for some people, not necessarily for those of us, present company included, who paid six figures with the student loans off. Um, that's a whole nother but issue. But we're not getting into that discussion tonight. No, that's, that's off the air, right? <laughs> but, um, but we see, I, I actually see both sides. I think you do too. There's pros and cons to it. So, um, so we want to talk about that. We want to answer your questions. So please introduce yourselves in chat. Let us know that we're coming in loud and clear. And, um, and then we'll shift to, you know, the other better sources of money for college, which is the free stuff, which is grants and scholarships, because there's a whole, you know, financial aid system out there. There's merit aid that um, is, is a different <clears throat> system. There's a little bit of tax um, types of, of, of what, our, what our accountant, Rick, the ancient legend, he calls himself the legend. I call him the ancient legend. What he uh, he coined the phrase tax scholarships, uh, which are really for business owners. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, but we really want to uh, be here to give you know to cover the basics of what's happening in the news and answer your questions. And um, and then if you're interested in uh, talking to us privately, one on one, in terms of you know how to uh, to work with us, if you are interested cover that at the end after we've gone through the educational stuff and that'll be approximately 35 seconds worth of uh sales pitch for something that you cannot buy okay so um who is here in the chat let's let's know that you can see us and hear us uh, chris in uh wayne pennsylvania and christine from parts unknown i don't know if that is that our christine or is that a, another christine i'm not sure yeah, it's hard to tell. Sounds like a thief. Um, got, uh, Miriam from Florida. She's uh, actually a client of it's ours. It's our so Christine. It is our Christine. Okay. Did you just wave at the monitor or the camera? The camera. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> uh, Jill and Peggy. All right, so I'm assuming we're coming in loud and clear and, and you can hear us. 
and see us. So, all right, why don't you start with um, sort of the basics in terms of what was announced, and then we'll talk about who it pertains to, and we should talk about who it doesn't pertain to. Yeah. And we'll kind of not talk about the legal challenges to it because that's out of the scope, but this this could change. Um, but, you know, the timing in general. So, go ahead, take it okay, away. Okay, so there are two parts, uh, actually three parts of the loan uh, announcements that were made a couple weeks ago. Um, I'll get to the actual student loan forgiveness. Before that, the first part of the announcement uh, pertains to, for those of you who are aware or unaware, <clears throat> for the past two years, the interest rate on both the student and the parent loan for both subsidized and unsubsidized loans, the interest has been suspended. There has been zero interest accruing for the last two years on all loans that have been taken out during these last two years. And that suspended income was expected to be lifted at the, at, on August 31st, 2022. And that is no longer happening. That suspension is continuing until December 31st, 2022 for its final time. It has, it has rolled out in increments of six months, starting about two years ago, where they continually suspended the interest on both the student and the parent um, direct loans from the government. So again, so the first part is that <clears throat> the student and parent loan interest rates, which are currently for this current year, the student rate is at about 4.9% interest. And the parent rate is at 7.5% for the 22-23 school year. The, those interest rates have been suspended all this time, will continue to be suspended until the end of December. And then come January, they, the interest will resume uh, on these accounts. Okay, so that's part one. Part two, the biggest part, I guess, is the student loan forgiveness. When is it going to happen? When can you apply? Who qualifies? Okay. So <clears throat> bar single borrowers, an individual, if, you're, if your federal adjusted gross income is under, is $125,000 or, or under, or for it is $250,000 for households, dual income, um, that is the income threshold for eligibility altogether. And whether you qualify for it's either $10,000 or twenty thousand dollars is is based on whether that borrower had ever received a Pell Grant. So if and just to ask, and that income is for you get a choice. You can pick either twenty twenty or twenty twenty one income. Right. It's, which is crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Because because so, there's people, for example, who are like doctors with all sorts of grad school mm -hmm. loans, right? And they made they were residents in 2020, mm -hmm. and then they started you know work at the real jobs in 21 and made three hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? <clears throat> One of the criticisms, it, right? It's going to benefit some, and it's going to not benefit other people who yep. were in the same place. Um, so, so that is the that's the first thing. the The actual application of which we haven't seen yet is not available for, for the public yet. We don't know exactly what the application is going to entail, what's involved, if there are additional requirements here. But um, that application for loan forgiveness will become available this October. And uh, you will have until December 31st, 2023 to apply for this loan forgiveness. 
Okay, so that's kind of that's the everyone. Then there are then there is like another public servant forgiveness in addition to this that one may be eligible for. But that is has that application if if, if you work for a nonprofit, if you work for the state, if you're a teacher, if you're any kind of public servant, um, you may be eligible, right, for student loans forgiven under what's called the Public Service Loan Forgiven Program. And that has its own site, but you have to get those applications in by the end of this October 2022 in order to be qualified. It's a very limited one-time only public servant forgiveness. That's a separate from the general one I just described with the $250,000. So, so is that part of cap. the announcement or is that already pre-existing? It's been, it's been pre-existing for a little while, maybe okay. like maybe a month, maybe since August, like only a couple months, you know, since two weeks ago. And speaking pre-existing. So the, these, as far as we know, correct me if I'm wrong, these mm -hmm. are for loans that are already out there and, yes. and borrowed, not for anyone who's about to take on a loan. Right. I have not seen information so one way or the sense. other. It would make sense because yeah. I would think everyone, but I don't know, crazier things have happened lately. Okay. Um, and then the third, so that, and then the third part of the um, loan forgiveness plan, the Biden-Harris loan forgiveness plan has to do with repayment. Um, so right now, here's how the loans work. Uh, you can take out, the students are, are able to, in their freshman year, in their own name, able to take out $5,500. In their sophomore year, that amount goes to $6,500. Junior year, senior year, it's $7,500 each year. And for every continuing year of undergraduate one needs, it continues at $7,500 each year. Uh, that the student can borrow in his or her name. The parent can borrow either a specified dollar amount or up to the cost of attendance as determined by the school, which is basically everything, room, board, tuition, the whole thing for a year. Um, <clears throat> there are no payments that need to be made before six months, um, until six months after graduation, okay? But there are new, no prepayment penalties should someone want to make some or all of the payments beforehand. Okay, that's how it works right now. When it is time to repay at the six months after graduation, <clears throat> there's going to be an option um, as to how you want those monthly payments to look. There's a standard, you know, flat rate. That's going to be one type of payment or, and this is what this new proposal deals with, or it can be income driven. Your monthly payment will be determined based on your income that exists when it's six months after graduation and you are required to now make monthly payments. So currently uh, loan balances are forgiven after 10 years of payments. Now, you know, this is the proposal, whereas currently it's after 20 years. Um, this new proposal will require borrowers to pay no more than 5% of their discretionary income monthly. Instead of 10. Instead of 10%, right. which reduced. is the current, right? right. It's been reduced. Um, if you have a loan balance of less than $12,000, uh, then after making consistent payments, well, it used to be after 20 years, you would get forgiven the rest. Now it's only after 10 years of those consistent payments. Um, let's see. And then there will be other 
No other bar, no borrower's loan balance will grow as long as they make their monthly payments, even if that monthly payment is zero because their income is so low. So that is all part of the proposed income-driven repayment plan. And of course, the loan forgiveness itself and the uh, change now, the suspended income, I'm sorry, the suspended interest on these loans is coming to an end this December. All right. So we see some questions coming in. Uh, I've been marking them as questions. You'll do the same. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, so like we're going to answer them you know, on the fly. But if you're just joining us, we're talking about really um, getting money for college. But first, we're talking about the new Biden. Har I didn't realize it was Harris. Sorry, it Biden is. Harris. Yeah. Okay. Such a stickler. Very thorough, my pearl. Um, uh, loan forgiveness program. Um, and there's a bigger picture here, you know, which is what's this going to really do? Who's, who's going to benefit? Um, we'll talk about some of that stuff, but that's that's not really the, the point of this, um, especially because we expect legal challenges uh, to this. And we'll see what happens when the regulations actually come down. What are these like pre-regs? I mean, I, don't, I guess they're sort of like, you know, they haven't Proposals. been. Uh, yeah, they haven't been officially enumerated, right, but I don't know. Right, I don't know right. who's um, who's going to be commenting on them, but there's. You know, a lot of comments on both sides of the aisle and I'm sure other there are places. A couple of committees. Yeah, committees that have committees. So um, anyway, so so we're talking about that a little bit, and then you know the, the rest of the, of the picture, the bigger picture is like, well, how do you get money for college that you don't have to repay? How do you get grants and scholarships and all that? So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Sort of, this is sort of a mini abbreviated version of the presentation I gave uh, last week, which some people here saw, some people didn't. So either you'll be reviewing that information or picking up some new info. Uh, which I do a lot. I review the same thing over and over again. Um, or it'll be new to you, but we're just going to kind of zip through it and then take your questions and then we'll call it a night. Uh, we'll try to keep this, you know, to to an hour and we're already 15 minutes into it. So the bigger picture is, you know, um, college is ridiculously expensive. Um, you've got schools like Columbia, which publish a total cost of attendance of $88,967. If you were to multiply that by four, assuming no inflation which you should not but um you're you're close to three hundred and forty four thousand dollars and pearl already showed me um a student's award from columbia this year that was ninety nine thousand that listed the cost, cost of tenants at ninety nine thousand five hundred and forty dollars or something so college is ridiculous same thing with most private schools northeastern's another one um uh, nyu of course really expensive tulane is really expensive but they say on their website it's a great value so I guess it's not that expensive if you convince yourself it's a, it's a great value. But um, in, in sharp contrast to that, uh, I just saw a stat in one of these articles about the uh, Biden proposals. 41% um, of students between 22 to, four, to 27 years old don't have jobs that require a college degree. So there's a rampant problem with that um, and questioning the value of, of college education. I think that's really the big picture here. It's... Um, to me, it seems very obvious that the more the, the easier it is to lend money, um, whether or not it gets forgiven, but even more so if it's forgiven, the, the easier it is to get money from the government, the less likely it is the colleges are going to rein in their costs. Because why should they? They can, you know, if there's if it's like a geyser that's just spewing dollars out, it's like a gold rush for them. Why should they ever stop? It's really easy, and you do this all the time. It's really easy to borrow. 50,000 or 80,000 or, or if you're going to grad school, $150,000 from the government, it takes like minutes to do that. There's no credit underwriting. No. There's no, you know, so. It's unlike any other loan. 
that you're going to try to get. It yeah. is the easiest loan to get. I, I wouldn't lend my, <clears throat> my kids money that quickly, you know. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, so why would a college rein in its cost to do that? I don't. So, um, even without this t- type of dynamic, or maybe uh, partially because of it, um, college costs have increased higher than the cost of living at a greater rate than the cost of living. So we're in an inflationary environment and, you know, in my opinion, in a recession, although uh, the president doesn't seem to think so. Um, but that doesn't mean that colleges are going to rein in their costs. Uh, they never have. They, they uh, usually college costs outpace inflation, like over the, the, the previous 20, 25 years. So who, you know, don't bet on colleges raining in their costs, especially now with this loan forgiveness. Right. Um, so, not all bad news. The the other thing to understand is that the average discount at a private college is fifty four point five percent. That's the average tuition discount. So even though costs are escalating, that doesn't mean that colleges are giving less money away. It's sort of a weird thing. It doesn't quite work in lockstep with each other, but um, it's not it's not a it's not all bad news because there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of bargaining out there. Um, only roughly 25% of families at any, at any given college will pay full price. And the other 75 or 70 to 75% get some sort of, of discount. Maybe not as much as they want, but they're not paying sticker price. And paying full price is really, uh, you know, it's not an obligation. It's a, it's a choice. And the other thing is because, largely because of the pandemic and the common application and a few other factors, there's so many applications going in now per student. We've actually dropped in terms of the total number of kids applying to school, to, to college after high school, but we have increased the number of applications per student. So there's more uncertainty for, uh, for the, from the college's standpoint in terms of who they admit and whether they will actually show up, which is really important, that ratio of who is admitted versus who shows up. So that to me means it's easier than ever. And we saw this last year and the year before it's easier than ever to negotiate with, with these colleges. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that also. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump around with some of these slides that I did just in case a few of you have, uh, you know, uh, were on the, the uh, presentation last week. But um, the reason why you probably never heard any of this stuff from anyone else besides us, I'm assuming, is because guidance counselors have no training in this area. CPAs are too busy with their with the tax laws, which are, are also changing massively. Um, and the enforcement of the taxes apparently is changing with the <clears throat> 79,000 gun toting. Armed, IRS. right. <laughs> yeah. um, Wait, it, I, I will point out that yeah. <clears throat> audience member Chris pointed out the IRS new hires should be 100% deployed to investigate college and university <laughs> cost increases. I agree. Very funny. Um, financial advisors also too busy and other parents. You know, we hear a lot from other parents. We heard a lot of comments from people that we know who say, yeah, so-and-so told me not to bother applying for aid from Boston College because they don't give any money. And there are some people they don't give any money to, and there's some people they give a lot of money to, right? So <laughs> other parents are not always the best um, source. And, of course, colleges are not going to um, tell you how to get more money because they're businesses, right? Who would say, hey, here's how you can pay me less voluntarily? So what it really comes down to is understanding the financial aid formula and the expected family contribution or the EFC. So what is the EFC, Pearl, and and what is it not? So the EFC is not, I'll start with what it's not. 
It's not what you're going to pay. And that's a big misconception. What does he, it stand for? It's, oh, it stands for expected family contribution. And it is the number that the FAFSA, that when one submits a FAFSA, What's the FAFSA? And the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. And when one files a FAFSA, there is a confirmation page. That confirmation page spits out a number called your EFC, which is what the government deems based on your income and assets, your family's income and assets, and a bunch of other metrics, what your family can pay for one year of school. That number is, there's very little to reality and financial reality and what anyone would actually be able to or be comfortable paying per year of school. But unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever it is, that is the number upon which schools, it's not what you're going to pay. It's the number that the schools start with when beginning to put together a financial aid package for your admitted student. So the, that discrepancy between what they expect you to pay and what you actually pay <clears throat> surprises a lot of people. Yeah. So you won't be, you will not be surprised if you go ahead and you've prepare and file your own financial aid applications if you choose to do that. Um, it's another reason I think that they are, uh, why the government is changing the term from ESC right. to SAI, Student Aid Index. It's the same thing, but they needed a new acronym just to freshen things up. And um, But but it's not gonna create that expectation that this is what I'm going to pay. That's probably the reason, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so either way, um, no one's really happy with their expected family contribution, but it includes 70 something factors. Income is a, is a big one. And uh, currently that includes all income. There may be some changes next year in terms of not counting some untaxed income. But right now it's pretty much all income. Um, your, your savings and some types of savings penalize you more than other types. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. Number of children in college. Uh, the more, in, in general, the more children you have in going to college simultaneously, the better you look in the financial aid formulas, unless that changes next year. That's supposed to also change, but we'll see. So there's a lot of stuff happening. It's not just the Biden stuff. Um, what else? How old you are, uh, age of parents, and a, a bunch of there's separate, there's separate rules if you're divorced um, or, or not. There's separate you know ways to calculate your the value, the value of your business if you're self-employed. So there's 77 supposed, supposedly uh, 77 factors that are fleshed out by more than 1,100 pages of regulation behind this FAFSA, which Pearl pointed out is the free application for federal student aid. And that's the easy form. That's the federal form that every college in the country takes. However, you think it's like 400 colleges. I, I keep thinking it's like 300 colleges, but there's a there's another financial aid application. By the way, this is the simplified version, okay? So trust me, you don't want the full version because that, that would take us to 12 o'clock. The um, CSS profile is the other form that um, mostly uh, private institutional colleges that have their own money to give out that they require because it's twice as long and 10 times as hard and invasive as the FAFSA. So so there's you, you have to check which forms, plural or form, your college requires. If they require the CSS profile, they're also going to take the FAFSA. It's not an either or. But many colleges, most colleges take only the FAFSA. So, so the point here is tip, tip, tip number one is understand which forms the colleges take and how they calculate your eligibility. And again, 
if you have questions, pop them in here. I'm, we may get to them. We may not uh, in, in the regular lecture, I guess. But um, if we don't, we'll we'll try to answer them as best we can. So um, a lot of people are not happy with their respective family contributions. So what do you do, right? What do you do if it's too high? Well, there's really only, uh, I guess, four things. One is you could figure out how to reduce it. There are strategies to reduce your expected family contribution because the less they expect you to be able to pay, the more eligible you are for, for aid. You could pursue merit aid. Merit aid is really anything that's not need-based. It has nothing to do with the financial aid applications. Some schools may still require you to file them, but they're not your your merit awards, your, your kids' merit awards are generally based on academic credentials and achievements, but sometimes other stuff like community service or being of a certain um, background uh, or orientation, or you know, there's there's different merit scholarships that come from colleges. Um, if you're self-employed and high income, there are tax scholarships. I talked to someone um, yesterday, very interesting conversation. She was driving uh, somewhere in Virginia, I think, and um, she's a surgeon, and her uh, husband is a Division One basketball coach. Yeah. And they, there's no way that they're qualified for need-based aid, but because she owns her own practice, she might actually, through some strategies, mm -hmm. be able to save more yep. in taxes than you could ever get from the financial aid office, right? So, um, uh, so that happens frequently. And the other, I guess, the other alternative is you could just pay, you could pay full price, right? But you know, it's a choice. Yeah, that's not really a strategy. Um, yeah, it can be. I mean, if you're nervous that um, a school is not going to admit your child because you're applying for aid, which is um, definitely, it's not that simple, but it's, there is an element of truth to that. Then what a lot of people do is they don't apply for aid and the kid gets in and then they say, oh, I forgot to apply for aid. <clears throat> Usually that is past the deadlines for, uh, for national aid, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute. The final thing on the, on the expected family contribution, the number that the government, that the you know, that they use to calculate your eligibility and therefore how much they, you're, they're going to give you or not give you is that you need to understand that money in your kids' names, like custodial accounts, penalize you far more, 400% more than money in your name as a parent. And furthermore, there are some types of assets that are entirely exempt that don't penalize you at all. So what we do sometimes, and this is not all the time, okay? That's what sometimes means, is with a, a sliver of clients, maybe 20%, 25%, we look at sheltering legally and ethically the money they have saved in the wrong places and potentially depositing it into places that are exempt. The main, there's, there's four exemptions, four places where the FAFSA won't penalize you. The two main ones that we see most frequently are insurance, life insurance products with cash value, so not term, and annuities. Those are the two shelters that we see employed most of the time out of the four. Um, so let me stop there. Are you guys finding this helpful so far? Because I know we're just dumping a lot of stuff on you. It's almost like it's two different presentations. One's on the loan stuff, and now how to get the rest of the money that's out there. So let me know in chat. And it looks like you've got a lot of questions yeah, going. Yep. Okay, yeah, so anything you want to add on EFC or anything? Um, well, I just going to touch on a note, um, cautionary tale about net price calculators too. Good. Um, <clears throat> I've had a couple of clients recently talk to me about what their 
expectations are after they've used a net price calculator on a school's website as to what their family would pay. <clears throat> so, so, so to explain what that is, because there's some, some people who've never heard that term or been okay. on, on a website. So schools often have their own. Always. It's required. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. The Obama. Required. Obama. Yeah. Oh, Obama hey. made that required. Okay. Um, ha each, each school is required to have their own net price calculator on their site which provides an opportunity to put your family's income and asset information into the best of your ability, which will give you a rough, it's supposed to give you a rough idea of what your family is likely to have to pay at that school. However, um, whether it's a combination of being able to um, put the information in correctly where you're going to get the right feedback back from that formula, or you've put all the accurate information in. Unfortunately, I have seen that what ends up happening in, in actuality after financial aid forms are filed and awards are given, it, it is different, often worse, than what the net price calculator that the parents initially used on the school site indicated. But they're a good starting point. They are uh, yeah. absolutely um, helpful in terms of you trying to figure out whether you have a shot at getting something or not. And frankly, after you get an award and um, uh, you're, try you're trying to improve it, which you know, which is the negotiation part, then um, one of those arguments might be, "Well, I relied on your calculator and I came up with you know this. Please explain to me how you, you know, how you came up with your number." So. All right. Um, all right. I think Peter should be muted. Right. Yeah. Yep. See you later. <laughs> You've been kicked off the island, buddy. Yeah. How do we do that? Can we eject someone from the room for a comment? I deleted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, so hopefully you guys are finding this helpful. I can tell from the questions that you uh, um, that at least we're touching a nerve here. So. All right, so let's talk about um, um, when these are all due. So, so the FAFSA and the CSS profile are released in uh, October, October 1st yeah. each year, right? So when do they do? So they are due when the schools that your student is applying to tells you when they are due. And what I mean by that is uh, your student is going to have to choose how the student is applying to the school, be it regular decision, early action, early decision, restricted early action, whatever the case is, whatever that application status is, is going to determine what that student's priority financial aid deadline is. Now that date is, is likely to be different than the application for admission date. So those are not the same and they're, they each need to be abided by. Um, so if a student is, play, is applying early action at one school, that's gonna be one financial aid deadline. If they're applying to regular decision to that school, it's gonna be a different priority financial aid deadline. The best source is the school's own website for the current information. Don't go by last year's information and deadline. Um, make sure you're looking at how the student's applying on the school's website. And my own personal practice is I get a whole list of schools. I see, I look at each 
priority financial aid deadline for each school. And I apply to all of the schools in accordance to the earliest priority financial aid deadline of all the schools. Um, so you have to keep track of all this stuff. That, that's the bottom line. You um, every every year we hear from people who thought, "Oh, I didn't I didn't know to apply for financial aid until I thought I, I was supposed to wait till I heard whether we got in or not." No, no. You, the the applications go in. If a school rejects you or your your child, then you're not going to get a financial aid award from them, and that's it doesn't go anywhere. That's fine, but look up all the deadlines prior and to on the, applying and for on the, financial aid. And on the contrary. Um, if your student applies to a school and submits financial aid forms and gets into that school, even if the award were to be made entirely of loans as an offer, that student will receive an award. Any student who applies to a school, gets in, submits financial aid forms, will get an, a financial aid package from that school. It is not the case that, oh, um, I, I, I didn't get anything. I didn't hear anything. I guess I made too much because I didn't hear back. It doesn't work like that. Um, all right. So, so now we're taking you up to the time where you, where you file, we complete these forms. Again, the FAFSA currently, the main form is 104 questions. It's slated to be streamlined. The CSS profile is 200 to possibly 300 questions. They have to agree with each other. That's another big mistake people make. Um, and that could cause an, uh, uh, not an audit, but a verification. Right. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff you're submitting that could get not an, uh, not IRS audited with guns, but verified. <laughs> you could be selected for verification. If that happens. Uh, you know they're looking for stuff. They're looking for discrepancies. And um, sometimes yeah. it's it's silly stuff. Sometimes it's not. So you have to be very careful that you're filling out these applications the right way and that they're consistent with right. each other. Yes. So we talked, you know, so we talked about strategies so far, like you can shelter, you know, money and improve your eligibility, get more, but you also need to be very aware of just doing everything correctly. You have to be yes. hyper vigilant and careful. Don't mix up um, the stuff you, 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 the information you give for your kid versus yep. your information. There's yep. a student information section. There's a parent information section. Again, student assets, student savings penalize you far more and parent assets. So if you mix that stuff up, you could be sabotaging yourself and, and stealing from yourself, basically. So what happens um, now after you file? And we talked about this last night with our clients. Mm -hmm. um, what happens la uh, after you file your financial aid applications? Are you done, Carl? So loaded Luke, question. You are not done. Okay. In fact, I often describe the filing of the financial aid forms as the beginning of the process. Even though we collect all this information, we got it, we got it together, we file it, um, and you will receive confirmation emails when when you do file. And but really, at that juncture, each school has been officially triggered uh, by this financial aid application to begin preparing a financial aid package for that student. Really, hate when you use the word triggered. Sorry. To that end, me. still going to use it. Still going to use it. New trigger. Right. Uh, to that end. Some schools may want no other additional information because they have enough in the four corners of the application. Uh, but other schools, just based on how they do their own financial aid analysis, because all schools have independent, distinct processes for determining a financial aid package, um, will either have its own process for asking you for more information just naturally because it has additional forms it requires of all students, or there is something in your financial aid application that triggers additional questions. For example, if you own a business 
there is likely from some of the schools to be follow-up questions about the business. And you're likely going to have to submit what's called a business farm supplement. Again, uh, there are well, a it doesn't lot of- mean, sorry to interrupt, doesn't mean that you're missing something or that if you prepared the applications, you forgot something. It no, means no, no. There's, a, there's more there's stuff. There's an evolution of this process. Yep. Exactly. We submit some stuff and then they look at that stuff. And then therefore that breeds wanting additional stuff. So additional subsequent requests are made. That's normal. This back and forth is very normal where they ask for additional items not initially sought after. And then eventually there's that back and forth. And I'll make a comment on how frequently you should be, you know, checking and sending and you don't want to be nuts. Um, Who who, who does receive this information? Once the student applies, the student is going to receive emails from the school, but this often the student is also going to have login credentials to the school's own site and have a portal as an applicant and is going to be expected to frequently check that site to see if there are any missing requirements, be it for application for admission or for financial aid. Um, my recommendation is to have like a mutual time that works for the student and the parent, maybe once a week, where you're just taking a little housekeeping and going through the portals of the schools that have assigned login credentials, seeing if anything's needed, missing, seeing if a financial aid award letter is lurking, um, or check and and check the emails too of the student to see if requests have come in during the week or if anything's missing. Here's another thing. Um, Such requests will will be made in earnest, but often such requests can be made when these requirements have already been satisfied. And that can be very unnerving. For example, long after your student has submitted a FAFSA, uh, a school that they've applied to could say, well, could happen one of two things, one of two ways. Either um, it will simply be like a an email blast that will feel person and it'll say, hey, it's time to file your financial aid. And you'll be like, what? I did that months ago. Don't tell me they don't have it, blah, 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 blah. Or alternatively, they could actually say, hey, John Doe, we don't have your FAFSA. And that is even scarier. But I'm telling you now, unfortunately, that is what actually happens day in, day out across the board, all the schools, when it's not true. It's just not a perfect system. And you're, but if, but no, when a FAFSA and a CSS profile are filed, there are time and date receipts of these filings and there's you can always pull up a pdf of the filing and to such a questioning school you provide say wait a second this was filed back last november here's my you know here's my pdf of the filing you still missing it and lo and behold 99.99999% of the time schools like oh we have it never mind sorry to have caused all that stress and panic What's that tone yeah I'm reading into that a bit, but uh, that's how it plays out. So my tale, my, my cautionary tale to you is don't panic when that happens. Check it out. You know, I've told you it's going to happen. So don't freak. You're just going to have to, you know, see if you've in fact filed. But sometimes what also happens is you can file initially to the top, you know, the 10 schools that your student is going to be applying to like now, you know, the 10 schools or so or however many. <clears throat> and then a couple of months into this financial aid and application process, the student, either because they've heard back from some schools already or 
whatever, they just learn about a different opportunity at a school, apply to additional schools at some point during the year, but fail to submit financial aid forms to those schools. And that's another way that a school may down the pike say, hey, we're missing your FAFSA. Uh, so be be careful and, and just make sure to cross your T's and dot your I's and keep all that, you know, keep make sure you're submitting everything to every place that you've applied to. You know, <clears throat> we um, there's, there's always special <clears throat> things that can come up too um, that you don't anticipate. So um, early on in the pandemic, um, we had a client who yeah. did not file for aid. They weren't our clients at, at that point right. um, because they thought they would never get anything. The kid was you know, going to college. And then what happened was they lost a big client. It was a software service company, SAAS, software, software as a service company. And they lost a big customer who accounted for something like 60% or more of their, of the business revenue. It's a very small company also that was, that was split among like three people. So big blow to the company. And then when they um, realized, you know, as the dust was settling that the money they thought they were going to be able to pay for college was not there anymore because their income, you know, went from up here to close to zero. They said, Oh, is there any way we can apply for aid? And it was something like seven days past the last deadline, something like June or maybe even July. So we tried unsuccessfully to go back and um, get them to waive that deadline, but they didn't. So the point is that even if you, um, you think that you don't need the money, but there's a remote but reasonable chance, especially if you're self-employed, that your income could drop um, or something else could happen. You know, maybe you have a huge expense. Maybe it's a lawsuit. Maybe it's a catastrophic, you know, loss somehow. Maybe it's a medical bill. Maybe if all of a sudden support parents or someone else, um, you should preserve the right to appeal your financial aid award, even if you're not going to get anything. Because if that unforeseen black swan event happens, then you will be able to go back and appeal it. In this client's case, unfortunately, they could not do so. So that's a big bummer. Um, all right. So when, when do people hear about their awards? So, um, and you talk about need base, I'll talk about merit. Okay. Uh, when one is admitted to a school, anytime between a few days to a few weeks after one hears a financial aid package <clears throat> can be expected. If the student has applied early action or early decision, that early, that package is likely, you know, to be in maybe the December, January range. And then for all other decisions, it would be some days or weeks after the decision comes in. Um, if you apply and you don't, and you're looking for merit aid, which again is defined as anything that's not need-based. Right. Okay. Um, that usually comes simultaneously with the offer of admission or uh, a few days after. If you don't get it, chances are you're not going to receive it, but it's still a good idea to, to lob in a question to the admissions officer who's assigned to you and just say, hey, what's my eligibility for aid? And they'll either say, I'll just wait a few more days or um, you didn't qualify for anything. Okay. <clears throat> what happens if you don't well, I guess maybe I'll, I'll ask this and I'll answer it. What happens if you get a crappy award, right? Um, it's negotiable. So um, I've, I've actually written a book on this. It's on Amazon. It's called How to Negotiate Your 
crappy uh, financial aid and merit aid award. Um, um, but the highlights are the best defense is a good offense, meaning that it's good to have a bunch of colleges that you're applying to that actually compete with each other. So it could be schools that are sort of looking for the same type of students. Uh, so Ivy Leagues compete with each other. The next year down competes with each other. It could be schools in the same athletic conference. It could be schools that are red people in the same area, like a communications or a biology department or something. So the point is, is that you want to have schools, plenty of schools on your list that actually might compete with each other because then you can play them off against each other and show, I, I like to show the offer that I'm trying to get school A, the choice, the top choice school to match or exceed. So um, you, you can always appeal a, an award. You can appeal a financial aid award if you've had a change in circumstances or they call it special circumstances. Sometimes you just write an email to someone in financial aid. Sometimes they make you fill out an application, uh, some more paperwork, an appeal form, um, an unusual drop in income is 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 a common thing i gave that example before the self-employed client that lost their um their their big customer so their tax returns that they submitted to the college didn't show that because that was before the pandemic and before they lost that business so the college is basing their financial aid um offer on historical you know retroactive income so i think you covered this before uh, if you have someone graduating 2023, they're going to be looking at your 2021 tax returns. It's a two-year look back. Right. The, the uh, government calls it a prior, prior look back. So um, uh, if things have changed drastically since then, that's grounds for an appeal. Another grounds for an appeal is an unusual expense, not a typical, I live in a high-tax area that is never going to be a successful appeal. Yeah. Just in case any of you, you know, are, are thinking about that because we get that question a lot. So I'm guessing some of you might have that in your heads. It's got to be an unusual expense. Um, sometimes it's it's something else. Like um, uh, last year I made a lot of money, but that's because I was laid off and I got a severance. I'm never going to have that again. Mm -hmm. Or um, I got an inheritance and I sold all the stock and uh, I, you know, I, had a, I made all this money, even though that's not really how inheritances are supposed to work. So um, if it's a special circumstance, it's got to be something kind of dramatic or, or extreme. I probably wrote about 105, 110 of those types of appeal letters um, last year. I'm probably going to do a similar amount this year. It's part of our uh, our service. All right, so let me just zip down 10 big mistakes to avoid. And um, I will pause just in case you want to throw in any quick lightning round commentary. All right. And we've talked about some of these already, but so treat this as a review. Mistake number one is blowing deadlines. Don't. Good. Number two is um, filing the wrong applications or not filing the right applications, depending on how you look at it. Right. Some schools will only require the FAFSA. Some schools will require the FAFSA and the CSS profile. And touching on a question I saw in there, some schools will require the FAFSA, the CSS profile, and have their own institutional supplement. You got to file what the school is asking for. Okay. Next. <laughs> um, <clears throat> number three is mixing up parent and student items don't screw up that on either fafsa or css profile or anything else um here's one you spot a lot wrong birthdays or social security numbers yeah unfortunately sorry accountants out there so explain uh, uh well um if i'm preparing the financial aid forms i'm relying on your tax return and often the date of birth etc I, I find a lot of mistakes, unfortunately, either in a date of birth or an off digit on a 
social security number. So the issue is not just sloppy. The issue is that when this it all has gets a submitted, ripple effect. Yeah, when this gets submitted to the colleges, um, it's gonna not, it's gonna cause a red flag because <laughs> it's not gonna match up with the, the right. correct information. So the information that goes on the FAFSA, which is correct when when Pearl does it, is going to cause it be uh, be discrepant from the information that is coming from the IRS. Right, and that could cause delays and you lose money potentially. Mm. All right. Um, all right, here's one that we talk about a lot. Number five, disclosing things that do not have to be disclosed. Yeah. Oversharing. Yeah. So I mentioned before on the FAFSA, there are shelters and two of the big ones, of the two of the four big ones are annuities and life insurance with, with cash value. Um, if on the question on the FAFSA about your investments, you disclose you have annuities and life insurance, you're shooting yourself in the foot because those yep. are not disclosable. You don't have to share that. You don't have to share your retirement accounts on the FAFSA. No. Okay. So don't overshare because they're not going to. You don't have to show the value of your house on the FAFSA. Yeah. They're not going to give you, well, you're not supposed to, right? So, right. so they're not mm -hmm. going to let you make that mistake and, and say, oh, you got to do over. Um, they can't cases, unsee it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. Next one. Number six, thinking you filed, but you actually did not file. That happens a lot because yeah. of the signatures. That's right. That's so explain true. the signatures. So uh, there is an, there is a place to electronically sign the FAFSA application, and that is with both a student FSA ID, username and password, and a parent uh, username and uh, FSA ID, username and password. Without those, um, and if there is any discrepancy in how those were made up, if there's any mismatch of a birthday or, or a social security number or it's rejected in some way by the social security administration, um, you're going to have missing signatures and that could potentially cause delays too. So uh, just again, make sure you do these, the, these setups right. All right. So here, just review the first six, blowing deadlines, filing the wrong applications or not filing the right applications, mixing up parent and student items, wrong birthdays or social security numbers. Number five is disclosing things that shouldn't be disclosed, i.e. oversharing. Number six, thinking you filed, but you didn't actually. Number seven is not reading the directions because all this stuff we're talking about is in the directions that are you know, somewhat easy sometimes and somewhat buried at other times. Yeah. Um, number eight is failure to take advantage of legal shelters. So if you have an opportunity to take money from a child account or someplace that's penalizing you, and depositing into a, you know, one of the two shelters I mentioned before, life insurance or an annuity, that might, might right. help you. Right. Uh, for example, I was talking to, to someone earlier today who um, was considering uh, trying to reduce the equity in her home. So because she, she does not have a mortgage, so she was said, maybe I should reduce that equity by taking out a cash, doing a, doing a refinance. And I said, you know, sure, you should certainly do your due diligence, explore it, but there is a cost to that too. And if that cost is not greater than what you stand to gain in financial aid eligibility, yep. you might want to pause. Works for some people, doesn't right. work for everybody. It depends. It, it really, really depends. depends on the nuances of your own circumstances. Yep. Um, number nine is ignoring those post-filing communications. And number 10 is not filing at all because you think that you're not going to qualify. Someone told you not to bother. 
you know, um, every year there's these, these articles about the billions, like $3.8 billion that um, sh should have been claimed, but, uh, but wasn't. So everyone should file, even if you think you're not going to qualify, when in doubt, I would say file. Yeah. Um, but um, not everyone does. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it does. All right. Here's something that gets overlooked a lot. Here's another tip. Um, and I see some, you know, keep throwing in the questions because we're, we're about yeah. to get to them. Um, some colleges are more generous than others. Private colleges tend to be the most generous. So if you apply to a bunch of schools that aren't generous, which are generally state universities, um, then you're not going to get much money compared to if you apply to a lot of private schools. Private schools have higher sticker prices, but they frequently bring the net price down lower than state schools that have lower sticker prices but don't have any money to give. So don't um, don't rule out expensive private schools only because you think that you're not going to get a discount. Um, and then there's the issue of, of colleges being generous to you, to your child, right? So they might be generous, but they're not generous to everyone that applies. It's, they engage in something called preferential packaging. Those are for the kids that they want. So that could be kids with higher than the median SAT and, uh, and GPA, but it could also mean recruited athletes, underrepresented minorities, yes. um, low-income families, uh, a, a few other things too. So, um, so just understand that a that's a strategy, but b that's also an explanation why you may not necessarily get as much as you were hoping mm -hmm. in March or April when the financial aid awards come out. You've got to have a balanced and strategic list yes. way ahead. Again, best defense is a good offense. Picking your schools, uh, picking your schools strategically. All right. I mentioned merit aid before. My best tip for, for merit aid is you want to apply to schools where you don't have to scratch and claw and beg, borrow and yeah. steal your way to get in. You want to be um, in schools where the, your child is in the top 10 to 20 percent compared to that those competitors in the rest of that cohort. So if you look at last year's total amount of kids admitted and their median SAT or ACT and median GPA and you're you know, near the top even and, and, and the school gives merit aid. It's a private school that, that does give merit aid. They all publish their, um, their, their different scholarships on their websites, by the way. Um, and uh, then you have a better chance of getting money, as opposed to if you're in the, right in the middle or below the median of one or both of those GPA and SAT score, it's, it's going to be a lot harder. So that's the reality. You're, you're more likely to get money from a school that wants you as opposed to a school that, you know, is um, – uh, is a buyer, you know, they're not, uh, they're not selling to you. They're buying, they they're in the position of strength. You want to be in the position of strength. Um, real quick on the tax scholarships. And then, um, we can talk about, uh, potentially, um, working together. So go ahead. Um, if you are interested in, um, saving tens of thousands of dollars, uh, having no stress about what colleges to apply to or potentially essays to write or um, applications, when to visit, who to talk to when you visit, uh, and you want to save a lot of time, money, and stress and do things the right way, then that's our, you know, that's something that we provide, all of the, all of the above, including help with all the financial aid applications and negotiating, um, but also we have a more comprehensive program that is uh, – um, designed to help kids figure out how they're wired, what that could translate into in terms of um, careers and majors that they could be both happy, love what they do, 
and make a living. And then you, that helps you get that elusive college return on investment that uh, is so hard to get because you could get out of college and be one of those 41% of kids aged 22 to 27 doesn't have a job that requires a college degree, right? So we're trying, that's our main thing is to help launch kids for success after college. Even though we're college advisors, we care much more about the 40 or 50 years of their lives after college, not just these tiny four year, the tiny four year sliver of their lives. So, um, so the comprehensive plan includes help with that type of launching for life success. It, uh, and, and some people hire us as early as eighth or ninth grade. Most people don't. But if you have someone you know, in the beginning of high school or the last minute doing their applications, uh, we help them you know, polish their essays, their applications and all that. So that's all part of that service, too. Either way, you just click on that um, green button, right, I think. Yep. And, um, uh, and, then, <clears throat> and then you can book a call. The only thing I'll say is that we have a very limited, I think we have actually f uh, fewer spots available than what might be on your screen because we ran this um, the special offer uh, last time I, I did this presentation and we got overbooked. So we opened up some more slots, but normally we charge $750 for this initial consultation and, and strategy session. This is free, but it's 20, 20 minutes and it's either on the phone or on Zoom. And all, all that happens is, you know, I kind of listen to you and you know, try to figure out what type of help you're looking for. And then if we can help, I'll tell you, but a lot of times we can't help. If that's the case, I'll tell you not to waste your money or worse that effect. We're not right for everyone. We are not good with kids who are not motivated or coachable, by the way. Just had a situation with that um, a couple of days ago. So just to be very clear, um, even if you, mom or dad, thinks that we're great, uh, it doesn't matter if your kid's not going to do the work and show up. We're coaches. We're not babysitters, right? <clears throat> All right. So um, the tax scholarship thing. So there are many techniques that your typical CPA for high net for high income business owners does not help you take advantage of in, in a um, audit compliant way. So, um, so, so for example, um, there, there's a technique that we see a lot of doctors do, um, which involves taking their equipment and gifting it to their kids and then leasing it back from their kids. And what that does is create a business deduction and lowers the income that flows ultimately to the doctor, stuff like that. So that's, it's got to be legitimate, but there's nothing, you know, there's, that's a totally above board type of uh, technique. And that is something that we and our uh, our personal accountant, Rick, the legend, uh, helps our, our clients with. So um, I'm not going to say much more about that because there are, you know, there's a universe of like 10 or 12 um, different techniques that we usually pick two or three from depending on, on the client. Um, but if you are a business owner and uh, you have a high income then um, chances are that your savings is not going to come from the colleges unless it's merit aid, but it could also come from the tax code. And frankly, who cares? Who cares where it's coming from as long, yeah. as, long as you're getting the money? And, um, and I guess the last tip, um, which you know has to do with the uh, services, is you have to get in. You got to get into these colleges, right? It's not. It's, it's it's great if you're applying to generous colleges, but if you don't get in, then who cares, right? So so that's really all about th thinking about how to market yourself, because frankly, kids today. Um, if you apply to schools that were ridiculously easy to get into when we were growing up, like Northeastern University, back in 1986 when I was applying to college, um, Northeastern accepted 90%, 9-0 of applicants. And this past year, it was 7%. And they got 90,000 applications. Um, I, I'm sure that 75 to 80,000 of them basically look the same. You know, uh, upper middle class kids with, you know, low 80, low 90s averages and 
1400 plus SAT scores. So what you have to be thinking about is, well, why is, 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 is the unsaid question in an admissions officer's mind, which is why should we take you compared to these other 50,000 or 90,000 kids? Yeah. And that is fundamentally a marketing uh, exercise. And um, look, there, I'm sure there are other college advisors who are at least as good as we are, and and, and I'll concede maybe a couple that are that are better. I will. But there are none that that <laughs> is better at marketing, right? So you see us uh, do these you know these presentations. I've written a bunch of books. Um, Pearl's written a book. Uh, we get on the news every once in a while. I was in that goofy Netflix documentary, uh, Operation Varsity Blues, as a as an expert, not a suspect. Yep. Thank you. Um, so my point is, I'm not bragging because who would give a crap? What I'm saying is, um, we're good at marketing our own our own service, and that is a life skill just to come full circle. And that's what we help kids do. It's not just to get into college skill. It's a you know, here's how I'm going to be able to advocate for myself and be persuasive going forward. Get into so, school, get my first job. Yeah, have a good navigate career. life, succeed in my career, get right. a promotion. Yep. Exactly. So, so that <clears> is something that we uh, not everyone agrees with us, by the way. So we're not right for everyone, but but this is a marketing exercise, and that's the big thing that we help people with. Besides the figuring out what to major in and how to get in, and paying for college, and a few other things combined under one roof. So that that's yes. it. So that's right. All right, you want to go through some questions, and then we'll wrap sure. up because we just hit the top of the hour. Okie and, and here we go. Uh, yeah, you answer whatever you want or, or tell me to answer. Sure, it's up sure, to you. sure, sure. Thank you. Question from Steve. Does this apply to people with existing loans or will it also be for people who don't currently have kids in college? Existing. Yeah. Uh, question from John. How about head of household? Um, income? Yeah. It's going to be combined income for the entire household. Chris, I see the information. I'm, I'm sorry. I see the formation of a new college industry to help people figure out loan forgiveness applications. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we thought about it, but unless the paperwork is too onerous. Michelle, do Parent Plus loans <clears throat> have the same Pell Grants eligibility as our children's student loans? No. No, but the parent loan is eligible for $10,000 forgiveness. There's not a Pell in the parent loan. Well, so so if you have a dependent child who got a Pell grant and you also took out a, a plus loan, mm -hmm. then then you'll be the family will be eligible for twenty thousand dollars total right. of forgiveness. Yeah. So as far as I understand. The actual application is coming out, and I believe better details as to all these little nuances, which are not currently available, will become available in October. Yeah, um, we'll see about that question from Susie. <laughs> yeah, or theoretically expected to be. Is there any chance this loan forgiveness will be overturned or challenges, aka won't happen? Seems like a lot of anger over this. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's um, low chances that it won't happen, but there's, uh, it'll, it'll definitely be challenged. Well, maybe part of it will. I, yeah. All right. Trisha, is the income for the student or for parents if the person is dependent one year and not a dependent in the other year? For undergraduate students, they're all considered dependents, even if they file their own returns, even if they're not on your return. As long as they're an undergraduate student and, and 24 years old or under, they're considered your dependent. So you cannot divest that dependency by just having them file on their own and not on your form. It doesn't matter. Um, the definition of dependent is different for financial aid than the IRS. 
Lisa, my son is a junior in college. Is he eligible for the loan forgiveness program? He got Stafford loans. Yes. Christopher Cotoon, does owning a second home affect EFC? It does. Your, your primary residence, uh, the equity in your home is not on the FAFSA. It is on the CS profile. It is on profile. the CS profile. However, an investment property that you own personally, the value of that home will be included on the FAFSA and, of course, also the CSS profile. Um, Trisha, will this be available or will the answers be available later to these questions? <laughs> We're doing them now. Yes. Uh, okay. If, if my son, a junior who works during the summer and files taxes separately, does he have to show parents income? Yes. If yeah. he's an undergrad, yes. If he's a grad student, no. Then it is based solely on the grad student's uh, income. Stephanie, my daughter's in her senior year. Can she still apply for any aid in her second half of her second half of the year? Yes. It yes. may not be subject to this uh, loan forgiveness, but yes. Um, Anjali, how do you get address the EFC for high income? How do you address the high is a family with high EFC? Um, sometimes there are techniques that will lower it in a way that's meaningful. And frequently it's more about the other types of strategies to go after merit aid or possibly the tax scholarship if you're self-employed. Christy, how can a family make an informed early decision without transparency in merit or need aid? Any advice? Our expected contribution makes me doubt any aid for my daughter. Um, well, then I would make sure you have plenty of merit aid opportunities. Right. Cast a wide list. net. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, does the forgiveness program apply to students who took the $5,500 loan for the fall 2022 semester? Yes. If it's already in place. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, the very top schools, AKA Ivy's and top LACs do not offer merit aid, only need-based aid. Right. Yes, that's true. And although we, although we've seen them, we've seen, a lot <laughs> we've of witnessed finagling, right, we've seen finagling, finagling where yeah. things are clearly not need-based aid, yeah. where they have wanted to help lure in a candidate yep. they have massaged the uh we've played schools off based, we've played yeah. schools off against each other where where which unequivocally ivies that do not you know they do not yep. offer merit kind of do all of a sudden sometimes. they found financial yeah. need from like so, literally from seven from zero to seven thousand from seven thousand to like fifty two thousand it's a soft we don't yeah um can you uh, can you elaborate on tax strategies for high income on W two? Well, maybe you were. And then yeah, I can't do more than I can't do more than what I said because um, everyone's different, and I'm not a CPA. But there are, like I said, I, I think it's a universe of probably ten to twelve different techniques, of which for any given client it might be three or four um, ones that, that work. work. Right. Yeah. Um, and can you elaborate on insurance? Well, um, not really, other than to say that uh, life insurance with cash value is what I'm talking about, not term. Mm -hmm. So um, so people sometimes will, uh, and again, we're not financial advisors and uh, we don't sell life insurance, but um, 
people will um, take money that they have in their kid's name or something or their name and which is penalizing them and instead um, put that money deposited into a life insurance policy with cash. And all of a sudden um, that money doesn't is removed from their financial aid balance sheet. Jennifer. Uh, so 529s are harmful for eligibility. Yeah. So 529s either hurt you a little or a lot, depending on the school, but they are not exempt. That's, that's one of the dirty little secrets about the 529. They're great savings vehicles, but for a lot of families, they actually reduce the amount of money they could get from colleges. Yeah. So it's either a little bit or a lot bit. Uh, question from Lisa. Are there any good websites for scholarships besides Googling? Um, I personally hate looking online for scholarships because there's a lot of scammy uh, and, and time-wasting type things out there. Um, but we have someone who works with us, um, with, with our clients, who does a lot of uh, she's a lot of interns basically who research a lot of local scholarships. So I think your best bet is the local stuff, not going after the stuff online that's overly competitive and everyone can find. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know anyone who's, um, you know, we've been in this college advising field for more than 20 years. I, I've never met anyone um, who has gotten a lot of money from doing what you're describing, going online and, and casting yeah. a wide net. Uh, it's very frustrating. That's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, when doing the net price calculator, do you use the same year information you would use for the FAFSA? Yes, you should absolutely use the same base year. And if you're looking at a net price calculator for next year's aid year, you would use your 21 tax return. Well, so those you know, <coughs> on the calculator, there are directions and it'll specify what they're looking for. One of the problems with the net price calculators is that the, that information varies from school to school. So you may not get, that's one of the reasons you may not get the most accurate reading. Some schools may ask just for your adjusted gross income. Some schools may ask for your adjusted gross plus any retirement contributions you made, which is correct. Um, so, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out, but the, the directions will be very clear. Can you share a strategy for divorced high-income family on the W-2? Um, well, on the W-2? I mean... That's just what this question says. Um, the, the summary is that currently, um, if you have the ability to, to say that the low income, if, if one of the divorced spouses is, a, is lower income, that's going to be the right one to choose to file the FAFSA. Because right now, the rule is that, um, that that parent who should file the FAFSA is the one that the kid lives with the majority of time. But next year, it's supposed to change. And, uh, and, and the parent that declares a kid as a dependent on the tax return is the one who should be filing the FAFSA. Yeah. So there's two different strategies there, depending on, but they all revolve around who has the lower income and that's that's who should file the FAFSA. And that's a, there's, there's, there's more to it, but that's the, the, the brief version. A question, a uh, question, a question from <laughs> Stephanie. Uh, I believe they missed the boat. I should have done a webinar years ago. Lockwood is wonderful. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> that's not a question. Um, Okay, question from Lily. What paperwork do we need to fill out the FAFSA forms? You're going to we'll need... talk about tax returns. Yeah, you need your tax returns. You need a, a good idea of how much, how all your assets. You don't need to provide those statements. Well, I think she needs to fill out the FAFSA. Right. Just uh, your... W-2s, 1099s, 1098s, any of your tax stuff, basically, you're, you're going to need. And your statements, your bank statements and investment account statements and exactly. and there's a bunch of biographical stuff you have to get the fsa ids yeah. you know there's there's a lot of stuff 
Yep. Question from Lisa. So each school has financial aid forms separate from the FAFSA. Um, Actually, it could. So usually not. Right. Usually no. Usually it's you know they just require the FAFSA or they just require the FAFSA and the CSS profile, and then a subset of those CSS profile requiring schools would have a handful have an, their own institutional supplement they want you to complete as well. Jennifer, can you please comment as to whether need-based aid is offered if applying early decision? Good question. Um, I don't like early decision for financial aid because you can't negotiate it too well as a, as a blanket rule. So I'm not a fan. Susie, uh, do schools sometimes want extra financial info besides the FAFSA? Kind of like some schools have additional essays on the Common App. How much valid uh, variability between schools on what is required for, for financial aid? There, it, it varies considerably. Especially so, on the CSS profile. Yes. That's where there's a lot of supplemental questions. Right. So there's the four corners of the CSS profile that go to all the schools requiring it. And then there's a section on the CSS profile called the supplemental questions section. Harvard has like pages and pages of these extra individual questions that only it is asking on the CSS profile. So there are a lot, and those can get really nosy and private and, you know, deep in the woods and, and uncover, let's say, a lot of your financial stuff um, that maybe you were hoping wasn't going to be asked. But <laughs> like credit card balances. Like a lot. Yeah. What cars you drive. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, and they ask because they can. Right. Um, Christina, I signed in late. Did I miss the info about the $10,000 student loan reduction? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you, if, if as a collected, if a family of that earns under $250,000 will be eligible uh, for individuals who um, earn under one twenty-five, that's how that uh, party would be eligible for the 10,000. Lisa, what do I need to contact Pearl for this year's FAFSA? Email me. Um, and we will actually, Lisa, we'll, we will be reaching out and letting you know exactly what's needed. You have a little bit of time as this a returning is, student. Lisa is a client. I yes, assume. Lisa, our client. Yes. Um, can you elaborate what you mean by a two-year look back? Yes. So <clears throat> the in October of twenty. 22, this October, the financial aid forms for the 23-24 school year will become available. And on that financial aid form, we need to use the 21 tax return. So 21 is two years behind 23. That's the two-year-ago tax return that is needed for the 23-24 aid application. Um, retirement accounts also include retirement account include IRA also? Yes, it does. That's exempt. That is exempt. Um, but what is not exempt, oh, well, this doesn't have to do with an IRA. Never mind. I'm just going to. Um, Shirley, financial and pre-read for athletes ask value of the house and mortgage balance. What to do? Provide it. Yeah. But be strategic. Be strategic. You don't need to give your, your hope, wish, uh, sale price for your home that you would hope to sell it for, you can, you know, be reasonable and give a good faith lower estimate for the value of your home. Look at the rules. Yep. Yeah. 
Dennis, if your students' grades are at the top of the school's accepted student profile, but their standardized test scores are at the low end of the accepted range, should you not report the standardized test score for a better scholarship offer, or is it better to submit the test score for scholarship consideration? Um, you know, so so if you're in the range for scores, I would probably submit them. Um, sometimes you can run that question by an admissions officer. Uh, I've, I've seen that multiple times. Like I would actually ask the admissions officer from that school for advice. See what they say. They may they may dodge it or they may tell you. Um, they may say we can actually give you more money if you don't submit your scores. Christine, Christina, uh, total household loan forgiveness you said was twenty thousand. I didn't say that. Uh, how does this apply for divorced parents? Okay, I didn't say that. I said that if a household makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars or less. They're eligible for $10,000 forgiveness unless they, unless they have a Pell Grant, in which case they would get up to up to $20,000. Now, and, and in terms of the divorce, if one parent didn't take out a loan, plus loan, then there is not going to be forgiveness for that parent. Well, assuming the, 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 that divorced parent is the one we're talking about and got a Pell Grant, then you might get 20. Right, because borrowing happens through the individual, not a couple. Um, Debbie, is is a student's required for graduation co-op money treated differently than any other student income? Um, taxable income is, is what counts. So if that is taxable, then that, that's in play. Uh, Neely, certain activities, leadership, extracurricular that bring more interest to soft aid, soft aid, soft aid. Are you going to like, are, are, are those leadership and extracurricular going to help get merit is my guess. Um, frequently. Yeah. And I think this is our last question. Does it at the chat from Susie? I'm just looking at the question. So I'll, have to, I'll pop back over. Last call though. Susie, does it make any difference? who the beneficiary of the 529 plan is. If we have multiple 529s for each kid, do they look at all balances of these accounts together regardless of the beneficiary? Yes. Yeah, because considered do. a parent asset for most right. for most schools. That's right. Uh, that gets me... picked up on the FAFSA and the CSS profile. Because they know that you can switch beneficiaries. That's the logic. Okay, and I believe this is truly the, the last question. Gabriel, do parent... Student loans get factored into need-based aid decisions. No. No, they don't. All right. We're going to wrap up because we went a little over time, but um, hopefully you guys um, found the time to be valuable and productive. We love doing these, and yeah. we uh, love that you're here because, again, there's plenty of other things you could do. Uh, if you haven't started the school year yet, uh, good luck. And if, you've, if you have started the school year, uh, good luck. continue good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, just uh, – um, I can't wait for all those first day of school photos, you know, in front of the front doors. Oh. Yeah. Very excited to see that on Facebook. So, uh, all right, guys, have a great night. Thank you, Pearl. Thank you. Bye, Thanks everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening to the college planning edge podcast. For more information about our inner circle group coaching membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass. Um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities. 
as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at LockwoodInnerCircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.